This is Downstream, a podcast by the Rocky Mountain Outlook. I'm Aaron Toombs, producer of Downstream, and my guest this week is the Mayor of Camor, John Borrowman. This week we talk about the Olympics, what they mean for Camor, and how a bid is not a done deal. And John's takeaway from his visit to Pyeongchang, next on Downstream. This podcast has been brought to you by Strides Canmore, the only dedicated running store in the Bow Valley. Located beside Starbucks in Canmore, they have an extensive selection of running shoes, apparel, and gear for all levels of runners and walkers alike. Over 35 models of running shoes to fit every size of foot. Check us out at stridescanmore.com. All right, John, uh, thanks for coming on Downstream today. My pleasure, Aaron. John, simple question that everybody wants to know is, are the Olympics a done deal? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Long ways from a done, being a done deal. Uh, in fact, some days it feels like it's so far away from being a done deal that it's an undone deal. Let's put it that way. No, there's, uh, there's a lot of water that's got to go under the bridge between now and whenever a decision is made both the decision locally, regionally, to to uh, provide a, a bid, to um, to move forward in the bidding process. And then the IOC has to review whatever bids come in. And so there's uh, close to two years before there's any certainty. Now, in terms of that process, where how far along are we along that process? How far have the the discussions gone, essentially? Yeah. Given the, the timelines we're quite a ways behind in where we should be in the process. So right now, the uh, both the City Council, City of Calgary Council, and Town of Camor Council have uh, approved um, becoming part of the uh, BIDCO. So to this point, beginning uh, in 2016, I guess, there is work that was done towards the um, exploring the possibility of a bid for the 2026 games here in the Calgary, Camor region, and that moved forward through um, initially through the Calgary Sports Tourism Authority, and then uh, through uh, a planning group the city of Calgary created, which um, we've we've been associated with. But generally speaking, a, a bid is assembled; is, the work is done by an independent group that's not dependent, it's not doesn't answer to a council, to an elected body, and that's uh, that's the bid corporation. So in 88, for instance, we had uh, CODA, the Calgary Olympic Development Association or Authority, and uh, more recently, Van Ock that, that planned the Vancouver and Whistler Games. So it's only recently that there's been funding approved by the feds, the province, and the city of Calgary to create a bid co. Uh, the town of Canmore has been invited to uh, appoint a member uh, to the board, which we have but we haven't been asked to uh, provide any funding for the BIDCO. So the BIDCO is being assembled right now. Uh, uh, the CAO of the town, Lisa DeSoto, is is our appointee to the board. Right now I know they're doing work uh, at that level to hire a CEO for the BIDCO. 
And there's still some seats on the board that haven't been appointed. They're like the, the feds have three seats, the province have three seats, the city have three seats. And there's, there's a few other seats as well. And I don't think all of those seats have even been appointed yet. So it's going to be, oh, you know, reasonably uh, at least another month before the BIDCO gets started. And that BIDCO will do the work that we're all waiting to see the results of, which is the detailed information on, on what the games would look like in, in 26, facilities, uh, where they'd be, what they would look like, any, any new construction required, what sort of um, changes to existing infrastructure, what's it going to cost, who's going to pay for it, yada, yada. That has to be in place really by the end of this year, so it's there's not a lot of time. The city planning group that's been working for the city through through council direction in the city has done quite a bit of the groundwork, but there's so much more that has to be done. In the meantime, there's um, quite a number now of cities across the world that have been announced or indicated to the IOC, the International Olympics Committee, that they're interested in the possibility of bidding for 2026. Calgary's has been considered a front runner in that, but uh, there's some very other, uh, very interesting other uh, possible bids that, that may come forward. Towards the end of this year, and I think it's October, the IOC will actually invite some of the interested cities to provide a bid. There's no certainty at this point that Calgary will even be invited to provide, to submit a bid. My guess is that Calgary will for a number of reasons that I could talk about later if you like. And then by January, the end of January, the full bid book has to be provided. And bid book is, you know, a six, eight inch thick document that has all of that detail. But before that point, both city council and town council have to approve um, being involved in a bid. And then the Canadian Olympic Committee has to approve that bid as being the, a bid from Canada. And of course, the feds and the provincial governments will have a critical part in the say as well because they'll be the primary funding authorities. So it's a complex, <laughs> complex piece of work and there's we're running low on time to accomplish it. Council has said we see the potential uh, value to the town Camor to be involved in the bid. We recognize there's potentially some negative impact. We want to have all of the information that we can at our fingertips. We want to have a full understanding of what the vision is to make sure it matches our community community mm -hmm. vision before we make that final decision to uh, to support a bid. That sort of leads me to my next question here, John. Can we being involved in this process and can we not being involved in this process? What, what do we get from both sides of that? That could be um, a long answer or a shorter answer. Uh, I'll try to keep it not too long. Thinking back to 1988, uh, I was here at the time, and and uh, we had started our family, and and uh, the mines had closed recently, and Canmore was in flux in terms of our identity, our our economy, and um, the uh, 88 games were approved, and uh, Canmore was um, selected as the venue for Nordic sports. Uh, which prompted, as as you know, the building of the Nordic Center by the province. And since that time, I mean, firstly, it was a lot of fun being in Canmore in, at the time. I mean, the Olympics, the whole community was engaged. Everybody, everybody in town had 
one of the various uh, volunteer outfits on because mm. everybody was volunteering somewhere or another, it seems. Uh, it was a much smaller community. But since that time, the Nordic Centre has clearly come to help define our community. We're a mountain sports community. Uh, two generations of kids since then have grown up to become uh, Olympic athletes, two generations of our own Canmore kids. And uh, so so we, the Nordic Centre, which was the, the primary legacy from the 88 Olympics, has um, been a very powerful and a very strong legacy uh, for our community. And it's just as a side note, it was actually the Olympics that prompted the building of the of the pool and, and at the rec center. Mm-hmm. And that's that was quite a legacy as well for a small town. Fast forward to 2026, what sort of legacies would we be hoping to see or, or looking for? And uh, some of the work we've been do- doing through this year is is through our surveys and public open houses engagement processes, having the community um, help create that the the vision the uh, guiding principles of, of what would um, what we should be looking for in a, in a bid that would be good for the town of Camor. Uh, there's some obvious legacies uh, that we've talked about things like housing. So when I, I talked with, uh, just recently, I talked with the mayor of Whistler just to catch up with her on the short and long-term impact of Whistler from hosting the 2010 Games. And, and that's the first and, and strongest uh, part of the legacy that, that she spoke about. Uh, they ended up with housing in Whistler. They, they housed 250 families, if I recall, in housing that was built for the athlete vill- Athletes Village. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, which ended up through the agreements, the arrangements uh, managed by the municipality of Whistler, their equivalent of uh, family affordable housing for people that live and work in in Whistler. Uh, And we all know we need something like that would be a a big boost to the town. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Attendant to that, if, if, if we were to be building an athlete's village, that would be the first proviso that it would end up being housing that meets our needs. There would be other uh, capital infrastructural needs that that would be carried along. Uh, One of the possible locations for an athlete's village is up in the Palliser on on land that the town owns, uh, largely owns for, has been deemed for a future affordable housing site, but which was uh, significantly impacted by the floods in 2013. So that Stoneworks Creek, which runs adjacent to that land, has to be uh, mitigated in, in a similar, much smaller fashion, but a similar fashion to Cougar Creek. And and uh, we haven't done the studies on that, so I, I I don't know how many millions that would cost to mitigate that creek, but millions. Mm-hmm. And if we were to build a, you know, housing, uh, call it neighborhood, in, in that region through the games, that would absolutely kick in the need for the pedestrian overpass. Those, uh, both of those two pieces of work, um, the mit- mitigation on the creek and a highway uh, overpass, are things that are in our capital plans. We have to do that at some point. Mm-hmm. If we do that on our own outside of an Olympic bid, we'll pay for that 100% from, from our own coffers. If those are associated to an athlete's village or, or being a co-host, 
there's a very good chance, and, and I can't put numbers to it, that Town of Camor's contribution to the overall cost of that infrastructure would be far less than 100%. We'd have senior levels of funding directed towards those projects and towards the cost of building the housing. Uh, but the details that we don't know, I can't speak to knowingly, is no. what exactly that looks like. There'll have to be some contribution from, from ourselves. And, and that's largely because we're, we're still in very early days. Still. Yeah. Yeah. Now, aside from housing, there's uh, transportation and transit issues that, that could be of, of really good benefit to the town of Camor uh, coming from a bit. Uh, and, and first and foremost, I'm thinking of transit between the city and, and the Bow Valley. Uh, having Hosting a, a, the, the games here would fast track some sort of rapid transit, whether it's a train, um, high-speed high train, regular speed commuter train, really great uh, rapid bus transit. I don't know, but that would be a, a, a proviso. And within the town of Canmore, we would have to have the uh, infrastructure and planning in place to reduce and avoid congestion that's associated to the games, which um, is work, again, we have to do. I mean, we're growing, and so parking and, and road congestion is, is uh, something that we're working on. And through the uh, involvement in, in a games bid would, um, again, help fast track and help uh, in the fund, on the funding side. Another potential benefit to the town is is around our economy and uh, diversification of our economy and, and the development of uh, sports-related economy that's, that's not specifically tourism-based. It's sports, high-level training center, research in, in that level. Another aspect of this that, that I've just been thinking about more recently, which isn't as concrete, it's harder to, to put definition on but as you know and, and I know you want to get into this part of the conversation but some reps from the town were in Korea for the Olympics and Paralympics and coming from the experience at the Paralympics which I wasn't actually on that delegation I was at the Olympics the role that the town of Canmore could play in in, in leading uh, um, globally on on how uh, accessibility matters are, are managed within the town of Camor, and I think we could really show leadership globally that's inspired by the Paralympic Games. This is a community that we, we've taken on on uh, accessibility issues in, in a intentional way, uh, but were they were the home of the Canadian Paralympic Nordic and, and biathlon team? So. There's something there that I think we could we could add to the conversation. And I think we'll return to your uh, experience in Pyeongchang in just a moment, John. Um, but uh, is it is it fair to say that if the bid goes ahead and Camor's not involved, we're not going to get what we want out of this entire process? <laughs> well, the first question is: Does the game does the bid go ahead if Camor's not supportive? I mean, if, if our council votes uh, against supporting uh, a bid, I don't think there's a bid. Uh, certainly, uh, the information that I've been given from other levels of government in the city and province in regards to the importance of, of Canmore, even though we're a small town and we're only talking about two components, the, the Nordic and uh, or the cross-country and the biathlon events, 
without Canmore support, I, I don't see anybody moving forward. The, the Nordic Centre is a provincial facility, of course. So the province could, could say, well, we're allowing our facility to be used. But the town and municipality would have to be actively engaged in, in things like the Athletes' Village zoning, appro development approval, transit issues. So uh, I, I, I don't think that uh, the other levels of government are going to, if you will, force the town of Canmore to be mm -hmm. co-host. And they're not, there's no planning through, throughout the process at this point that's envisioned those uh, events, the Nordic events, being held anywhere else. That's not an eventuality that, that I think is too likely. The second part of that would be if if we decide that we don't want to be involved in the process and the process goes ahead. Now, obviously, you, you think it wouldn't go ahead without us, but if it did, Canmore wouldn't get what they want out of that. We wouldn't get the kind of funding processes to put in place all those good things that uh, you've talked about. Is that fair? Well, I think that's, that's not a, a reasonable assumption. If the games were to go ahead, those things I've just described, there would have to be a, a village and, and the transit and, and all of those sorts of things, those components. If, if the if a senior level of government were to somehow force the town of Canmore to accept a bid that we're not supportive of, they still have to you know, manage or, or put in place infrastructure and, and facilities. Um, I guess I'm coming at it from a different angle. If the answers, the information that, that we develop or, or, or that is, is developed and presented to council towards the end of this year shows that, that those um, those positive benefits aren't going to happen, then there really isn't much of a bid to support from any level of government. Mm -hmm. The province doesn't, doesn't want to support. I mean, they'd ultimately be looking to putting a, something like a billion dollars into it. If, if, if those kind of benefits aren't on the ground, and the, I'm talking the long-term legacy benefits for Albertans, the province doesn't want to support it. So this has to work for everyone then? It has to work for everyone. John, talking about the costs there, you know, we, we've seen a, a wide variety of costs touted in the public, you know, anywhere from $4 billion to $20 billion. Of course, I don't think people should be taking Sochi as an example of how much uh, an Olympus would cost. No, no, let me just talk briefly about <laughs> Sochi. And, and uh, I, I think it's important that people, when they're thinking about this particular question, remember there's a, a big difference between a Winter Olympics and a Summer Olympics. So it's not the Winter, the, the Olympics are not the Olympics, they're not the Olympics. So the Winter Olympics compared to the Summer Olympics are a vastly different thing. Winter Olympics are a third the scale of a Summer Olympics in every metric. Also, don't think about Olympics that are hosted by countries that, that are uh, not democracies. Now, in Sochi, essentially what Putin wanted, Putin got. And the, the billions that were spent there were, were astronomical. If you, if you want to look at, um, if you want to compare apples to apples, I think consider Winter Olympics that have been hosted in North America over the last period of time. And uh, you know, Whistler in 2010, for instance, in Salt Lake, in Park City in uh, 2002, I think it was. Typically, uh, Winter Olympics that are held in North America, where governments are actually responsible to the people, have been successful. Uh, and so, so people go to Sochi because it was the most egregious uh, example of, of waste and, and 
absolutely horribly spent dollars. That's not going to happen in Alberta, Canada. Now, in, in terms of uh, shouldering the burden here, we're not talking about the entire Olympus cost being shouldered by Canmore. That's no. Uh, there, there's at this point, there's no information on what what share of which costs Canmore would be expected to contribute to. But all other levels of government understand that Canmore is a, a community of thirteen thousand permanent residents, and uh, you know it's a small town. It would be pointless for the senior levels of government, the senior funders, to to expect a, an unreasonable burden on the local taxpayers in the small town. Now, there's some benefits that, that we're going to see locally, mm -hmm. I, I would expect. If there are, then then there will be some expectation of some funding from, coming from the town. don't know how much that is, but it's certainly not going to be in the billions or tens of millions. It's going to be a manageable amount. Is it fair to say that as this process continues and as more details are hammered out, these financial costs are going to be transparent to the public? Are, are Camrights oh, yeah. going to know what? Costs are always transparent. You can come and sit in council chambers when we're debating and planning the budget process. You know, the, the outlook's there every year and through several meetings of detailed conversation about budgets, that's always in public and, and reported and... Uh, all of the decisions are made at public meetings. So there's no, uh, there'll be no lack of transparency on, on the funding aspects when, when we get to that point where we actually have some information. Mm -hmm. It's a complex question. And first and foremost, we just have to, we have to be clear on, on what the vision of our community is and, and how, whether or not a games bid could um, fit our community Vision. And it includes things like protection of the environment and, and our community character and future housing costs. You know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard from people that are worried that hosting Olympics would, would um, aggravate our already expensive uh, housing situation. And I mean, there's so many factors in that regard. Uh, people will compare what happened after the 88 Olympics where housing started to ramp up. But that was a very different point in time. Canmore was just starting to develop uh, away from being a, a mining town. And, and after the Olympics in the late 80s, early 90s, you could you could buy a, a condo for $80,000 or $100,000. You could buy a beautiful single-family lot and build a three-, four-bedroom family home on that for $120,000. I did. So today... If there's interest in, you know, if, if people globally or regionally see Canmore through the Olympics today and think, oh, I want to have a little second home there, it, it's, it's a very different prospect. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a big part of the work we would have to do through this exploration is to assure ourselves, our, assure the community that, that there's a, a very positive impact on the housing side of the picture. Now, if you take the whole Olympic discussion out of the development conversation, mm -hmm. development, growth, increasingly expensive housing, that's an issue we have to deal with no matter what. So the Olympics uh, brings a sort of a microscope onto, onto that conversation, but that conversation's ongoing and, and will never, in my lifetime, I don't think, mm -hmm. stop.
let's return to your trip to uh, Pyeongchang. Um, maybe you can talk to our listeners a little bit what that looked like and some of the takeaways you took from that. Mm -hmm. um, so just to back up a little bit, the uh, IOC, the International Olympics Committee, have started to recognize uh, that, that they have to do things differently about Olympics, that hosting an Olympics game is not necessarily all that attractive to a lot of cities or, or regions. One of the things they put in place was they created an opportunity for interested cities to go to the uh, 2018 Games and, and observe firsthand uh, as in an observer's uh, status what's happening behind the Games. I mean, get into the venues, tour the the, the workings of the of the facilities, um, see firsthand how transit and transportation is affecting the, the, the host communities, housing, all of the things we've talked about. Uh, get there on the ground and, and see how it's playing out in, in another community. So then you have some certainty or, or some better understanding of what what you're looking at in your own community. Uh, so they provided, the IOC provided a, a limited number of uh, accreditations that were um, not only to the Calgary and, and Canmore but, or, or the Alberta contingent, mm -hmm. uh, but to other interested cities as well. And, and those accreditations had to be divided up. So there were two waves. There was a group from Alberta, including the city uh, at the beginning of the Olympics, and then there were, those accreditations were handed off. And I went with the second wave, uh, which also included the provincial and city and, and town reps, uh, Minister of Tourism, mm -hmm. and, and one of his executive uh, directors was there from the province and uh, a number of people from the city and, and myself and the CAO from the town of Canmore. So that was the end of the Olympic uh, Games. And then later in, in March, there was... Uh, uh, similar process for, for the Paralympic Games, and and what did you what did you take away from that? Was there any particular things you saw over in Pyeongchang that yeah? Influences? So, um, firstly, you know, it wasn't it was called the Pyeongchang Olympics, but in fact, it was split between two centers. So, Ganyang is a coastal city on the east coast of Korea, and all of the ice sport venues were there, and, and uh, a lot of the associated venues, Canada House, and a lot of. Uh, there was as much going on in Gangyang as there was in Pyeongchang. Pyeongchang is, it was about uh, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the day, uh, drive from Gangyang. And Pyeongchang hosted all of the snow sports. The reason that the city of Gangyang was involved and supportive of, of having the uh, hosting the Olympics in their region was really informed by the, uh, the, the need for transportation from Seoul on the west coast of Korea, where 25 million people live, to their city of Ganyang, which is only 200,000 people on the east coast. Mm -hmm. Ganyang was a, a, a coastal city, and, and their economy revolved around, you know, being on the, on the ocean and uh, some related, uh, I think, uh, forestry economy, that sort of thing. And they were very interested in developing a, a tourism-based economy to diversify their, their economy. They could never attract visitors to... To their region because they were so far from uh, where the population of Korea lived and they weren't served by an international airport. So the bullet train that was built for the Olympics now transports people from Seoul, in fact, right from the airport, 
to Gangyang in um, less than two hours. So that's allowed that city to start diversify their economy. And, and so that was one of the, the takeaways for me. Um, I, I learned most of this in a meeting that was set up with between our team and the city team, Gangyang city team, and including the mayor of Gangyang. But on the sort of just the sensation or the observation perspective, being in both Gangyang and Pyeongchang, I was curious how things like transit and transportation were playing out in the in the community and security. How was that affecting uh, community life? How was uh, cultural components and and those associated parts of the games? It's not all about in sports. It's it's typically about um, a lot of things other than sports and culture and, and uh, the history of the region and all that. And those were all really well handled in. Um, the, the Gangyang and, and Pyeongchang in both communities. Uh, the, the transportation, partly because there was so much distance between the, the ice venues and the snow sports, they have a really big transportation program with hundreds, thousands of, of buses and vans. And it worked really smoothly. And it was easy for non-Koreans to, to find their way to the right bus and uh, the buses were running smoothly, and, and locals were using them a lot uh, because the locals were quite keen on getting to the, 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 the venues. Mm -hmm. And it didn't appear to me to have uh, any noticeable impact on, I mean, there wasn't, I didn't see congested streets. I mean, the transit was directed, you know, through certain routes. Uh, so, so that was um, an interesting thing to watch or aspect of the games to pay attention to. And the same with security. Uh, so security in the venues, when you, you had to clear through a, a security point. And security was, was um, handled as one would expect in the venue areas. Outside of the venues, um, outside of the secure zones, what, what, what struck me was it was uh, security was, uh, was evident. You could see that there was security throughout the, the city of uh, Gangyang, but it wasn't in your face. It was very low-key, but the presence was there. Uh, so clearly they were prepared for eventualities, but uh, it didn't feel like you were surrounded by, you know, army or anything. Yeah. It was it was quite, uh, it was a really great feeling in, in, in both those communities. And uh, people that lived there were very involved in the games, uh, volunteers everywhere and, and trying to, relate to us in English and a lot of smi smiling interactions. I mean, it was a, it was a really positive feeling uh, mm -hmm. as, as you walked around the communities and, and um, took in the games. Now, we didn't have that much time to actually take in the events. We had tours and, and uh, meetings organized for us that we had indicated interest in. Mm -hmm. So we got into uh, several of the venues to see the, the workings. The most uh, relative uh, uh, relative to, to Canmore tour was of the Nordic facilities, cross-country and biathlon. And Tom Holland, who's um, a senior coach here in Canmore and has been for, well, probably since the 88 games, gave us a lot of his time. I mean, he was very generous. And we really got to see a lot of the uh, World Cup and biathlon areas and, and try to 
we were able to look at, at what was happening on the ground there and imagine that in Canmore, how it would play out. So that was valuable. I guess I guess my final question for you, John, would be given that experience, if we decide to go ahead with a bid, do you think that we could pull it off? I think if if Canmore is involved, yes, because <laughs> that's how we roll. All right. You know, if we do it here in Canmore, it'll be at least the part in Canmore will be fabulous. Uh, but I, I just want to finish on, on the note that it has to be clear at the end that this is going to be positive for Canmore. While I see some great benefits from here, I haven't seen the information, the the details, the the data that, that tells me how that would actually play out. All right. We'll leave it there, John. Thank you uh, very much for coming on to Downstream today. My pleasure, Aaron. Downstream is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Outlook, located in the heart of the beautiful Bow Valley. This podcast was recorded at our newspaper studios in Canmore, produced and audio engineered by Aaron Toombs, and published by Jason Lyon. For more from the Outlook, you can visit our website at rmoutlook.com.